Hello, and thank you for joining me at Just a Guy and His Journey Back to God. Today we're in chapter 10, but we're also going to read chapter 11. Um, they're pretty short, but they and they're really related to each other. And so we're going to combine the two and also have some more commentary from John MacArthur. But before we do that, let's open with a word of prayer. Father God, thank you. Thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for being there, for being God, the one who created everything. And I'm grateful that you allow us insight into you, the opportunity to be in your presence, and for you to love us. That's the most remarkable part. And Father, I just come before you seeking out your will, seeking out your mercy and your grace. I know I don't deserve it, but I accept it because you give it. And I just pray as we read these words that you would help us understand, that you would enlighten us to what you want us to know, that our hearts and our spirits would be open to you, and that we would fellowship with you, we would grow closer to you, but most of all that we would worship you in the right way. So Father, I lift up this time, and I just pray you'd be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. So a couple of things before we get started that I've been reading. And as I was reading today, and I was looking at some of the descriptions that are provided, the descriptions of some of the beings are rather unique. But what I notice is God is very def def definitive in the descriptions, in the writings. He will tell us time after time who someone is talking about. <clears throat> and that he'll make sure there's no confusion there. So as I've read, I've tried to just open myself up to what he's saying and what the words are, and not to try to read too much into things, but to allow him to tell me, because he wouldn't make it so blatantly obvious on certain things, at least that's my thought, if he was doing it then to confuse us. And I think with his guidance, we can understand what this book is all about. Again, there will be mysteries. It even says so, things that we won't know. But I think as we go through, we should have expectations that this is written so we understand it and not that it confuses us or confounds us. So being a pretty simple guy, I like to think about it on that basis. So with that, I'm just going to start with chapter 10, verse 1. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun, and his legs were like fiery pil pillars. He was holding a little scroll, which lay open in his hand. He planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion. When he shouted, the voices of the seven thunders spoke. And when the se seven thunders spoke, I was about to write, but I heard, heard a voice from heaven say, Seal up what, you, what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. So right there is a mystery. But it's a mystery we've been told we're not going to know about. Then the angel I had seen standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven. Again, very definitive, very descriptive, and we can't really be confused as to who he's talking about. 
And he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and all that is in them, the earth and all that is in it, and the sea and all that is in it. Again, pretty descriptive. And said, there will be no more delay. But in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished, just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me once more. Go, take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel, who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the scroll, the little scroll. He said to me, Take it and eat it. It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. Now my thought immediately there is, Hey, that's kind of like sin. Initially, tastes great. Afterwards, it sucks. Now, I don't know if that's what this is. In fact, when I was reading some commentaries, it wasn't. But that's just what I thought. <laughs> I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Then I was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. So that's the end of chapter 10. We'll go to chapter 11, and it talks about the two witnesses. Chapter 11, verse 1. I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and was told, Go and measure the temple of God and the altar with its worshipers. But exclude the outer court. Do not measure it, because it has been given to the Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months, three and a half years. And I will appoint my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days, clothed in sackcloth. Again, pretty descriptive and definitive information there. They are the two olive trees and the two lampstands, and they stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. They have power to shut up the heavens so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. And they have power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. Now, they ha now when they had finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower and kill them. Their bodies will lie in the public square of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, some from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other gifts because these two prophets had tormented those who live on earth. But what's interesting is after all those plagues, all the tribulations, everything, knowing that it's God who's bringing it because of his dissatisfaction. People of the earth are still like, oh, woohoo, these people are dead now. We win. <clears throat> it just seems that, you know, humans, we just don't get it, do we? Um, I would think that, I would, I would just think that at some point people would really kind of start to understand. But their love for sin and themselves versus God just is too overpowering. But after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them. And they stood on their feet, 
and terror struck those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. I bet you their enemies are like, ruh <laughs> What's going to happen now? At that very hour, there was a severe earthquake, and a tenth of the city collapsed. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. So they finally understood, huh? The second woe has passed. The third woe is coming. The seventh trumpet, verse 15. So the seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven. So what's interesting is there's been a three and a half year hiatus from the plagues or the trumpet sounding so that the earth and all the believers and all the non-believers have a respite. Again, verse 15. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign the nations were angry, and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your people who revere your name, both great and small, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. <clears throat> then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within his temple was seen the Ark of the Covenant. And there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a severe hailstorm. <clears throat> so that's the end of chapter 11. Chapter 12 is pretty interesting and cool too, but we won't go there at this time. We'll do that tomorrow. Anyway, so um, that's it for the, for the readings, and then we'll move on to what MacArthur has to say. So when he talks about the context, here's what he has to say. Throughout history, God's people have wondered why God has allowed evil in the world. The wicked often appear to prosper. Sin seemingly runs wild and unchecked. Why, people ask, does God not stop all the carnage, corruption, and chaos in the world? Why does he allow his children to suffer? When will divine justice prevail and the righteousness be delivered and the righteous be delivered and the wicked punished? You know, it's interesting. I just had someone ask me that last week. She's struggling with, with that, that how can God allow so much pain? <clears throat> All the pain, sorrow, suffering, and evil in the world cause, godly, cause the godly to long for God to intervene. A day is coming when he will break his silence, a day when all the purposes of God concerning men and the world will be consummated. At this time, the Lord Jesus Christ will return and establishes earthly kingdom. The sounding of the seventh trumpet, which heralds the imminent return of, and reign of Christ, will usher in that long-anticipated day. But before that seventh trumpet sounds, there will be an interlude described in chapter 10 through chapter 11, 14. This pause gives John and his readers the occasion to assimilate the startling truths that he's just revealed. It also serves to encourage God's people in the midst of the fury and horror 
of divine judgment, reminding them that God is still sovereign. So they still get reminded, they get a chance to remember that God is the one who's in charge. <clears throat> During the interlude, God comforts his people with the assurance that he has, not, he has not forgotten them and that they will ultimately be victorious. The sounding of the seventh trumpet marks the end of this interlude and results in seven rapid-fire, catastrophic bull judgments described later in chapter 15 and 16. Keys to the text are two witnesses. These are individuals granted special power and authority by God to preach a message of judgment and salvation during the second half of the tribulation, fulfilling the Old Testament requirement of two or more witnesses to confirm testimony. These two prophets will represent the culmination of God's temp testimony to Israel, a two-pronged message of his judgment and his gracious offer of the gospel to all who will repent and believe. While it's impossible to be dogmatic about the identity of these two witnesses, several observe observations suggest they might be Moses and Elijah. Like Moses, they strike the earth with plagues, and like Elijah, they have the power to keep it from raining. Jewish tradition expected both Moses and Elijah to return in the future. Both Moses and Elijah were present at the transfiguration, the preview of Christ's second coming. Both Moses and Elijah used supernatural means to provoke repentance. Elijah was taken up alive into heaven, and God buried Moses' body where it would never be found. And the length of the drought the two witnesses bring, three and a half years, is the same that that brought, was brought by Elijah. So those are some of the interesting elements and thoughts about this scripture. Um, it's awesome that it, it heralds the coming of Christ's reign. Just some of the ways that man just doesn't, does not give up and change is amazing but it's the way we are. So anyways, with that, I'm just going to close this with a word of prayer. Lord God, I'm grateful for all that you've done. I'm thankful for these words and I'm thankful for any insights that you provide. I just pray that my heart would be open, that I'd be able to understand more about you and that I'd grow closer and love you more. I pray that I'd love you without conditions and that I would love you just because you are. So, Father, I, I lift up this day. I pray for you to be honored and glorified. I pray for the friends who are listening. And I just pray that you would walk with them, hold them close, and take care of all of our families. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining me at Just a Guy and his journey back to God. I hope you have a fabulous day.